Welcome to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, the podcast for high achievers who want to stay sharp, focused, and full of energy despite their diagnosis. With your host, National Board Certified Functional Medicine Health Coach, Julie Michelson, where Julie helps you take your power back from autoimmunity. And now here's your host, Julie Michelson. Welcome back to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. I'm your host, Julie Michelson. And today we're joined by Dr. Kara Wada, quadruple board certified pediatric and adult allergy, immunology, and lifestyle medicine physician, who also happens to have Sjogren's. In today's conversation, we discuss the differences between allergy, autoimmunity, immune deficiency, and cancer as well as what might be driving the ever-growing incidence of these health challenges. Dr. Wada, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be able to connect and to talk today. I would love for you to share with listeners and me uh, a little more about your personal journey, not just with, you know, why are you quadruple board certified? But your wellness journey, your personal journey, and and what has led you to this world that you are now just totally rocking. So about four years ago is when I was diagnosed with systemic Sjogren's. At that point, I was two years into my, you know, full-fledged allergy immunology practice. I was just back from maternity leave from having my second child. And I was at a bit of a crossroads because I thought at that point in time, I was so exhausted. I was professionally and personally just zapped, totally burned out and thought that I might actually step away from clinical medicine. I, I dropped my clinics, like the number of clinics and time that I was in clinic by half and really realized that I needed to focus on my own health. I needed to refill my own cup. And it has been a really, in many ways, a slow but fast evolution since that time. And I think I continue to just peel back the layers like an onion in realizing how, even though at the time I was only triple board certified, I guess, but like, but at the time that that education that I had really did not prepare me for one living in the role of a patient, nor did it really like the education I received on Sjogren's really did not reflect at all the lived experience of Sjogren's. And I think did not help me all that much in realizing that that was what was going on with my own health. Because in hindsight, I actually had symptoms that, you know, was it full-blown Sjogren's or not at that that time? Who knows? And it doesn't really matter. But I had symptoms that I now recognize as related in some way or prodrome back to when I was in college in my late teens, early twenties. And I was in well into my mid thirties when I was diagnosed. What I will share, you know, with 
with folks within the patient community. And actually, I just I just wrote an article for Kevin MD on this as well that we'll we'll publish tomorrow. But what we learn about Sjogren's in medical education is how to answer the question on your boards correctly, which is they're going to describe a postmenopausal woman. She's coming in complaining of a gritty sensation in her eyes. You notice on physical exam that she has poor, poor dentition, poor teeth. And then you have some lab data to say that her blood work shows that she has this antibody SSA positive. And then you'll get, you circle the question. You're like, oh, yes, I got it. I don't ever have to think about Sjogren's again. Correct. (laughs) Or if you're a pediatrician, this will come up in the SSA antibody can cause congenital heart block. So that will be the question that you learn is, you know, did mom, baby has congenital heart block. And then the question may ask, you know, what was wrong on mom's lab work? But here's the reality. And here, you know, thinking back of the puzzle pieces of symptoms I've had over the years, a lot of digestive distress. So, you know, symptoms that we describe as irritable bowel, but really wicked stomach aches, migraine headaches, profound fatigue, back stiffness that I actually do recall going and and kind of seeing a primary care about at one point during my medical training which must have been pretty significant because as residents, like resident physicians, you like never go to the doctor because you don't have time, like, and you're trying to take care of yourself. Like we're the worst patients. So it must've been pretty bad. (laughs) I had an episode of idiopathic anaphylaxis after having my first child. And I also over time realized that I couldn't wear mascara without looking like a raccoon. Because I was always touching my eyes, rubbing my eyes, wasn't able to tolerate wearing contacts at a certain point because of the dry eye. Sure. Yeah. And what is fascinating, especially as I now clinically I'm seeing patients, no one ever comes in with this, you know, (laughs) their, their main complaint of like dry eyes or dry mouth. Right. They're complaining about their dry cough or their body pain, their fatigue, maybe their sinus issues because I'm an allergist by trait, right? Right. So they're coming (laughs) to see me for their sinus stuff. And the other reality is that 30 to 40% of patients have totally normal labs. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Totally normal labs. So, you know, they get that, oh, your labs are normal. Must be in your head. Must be normal. Yeah. Let's try this antidepressant, or maybe you should try losing a few pounds. So all that to say that, you know, this, and it's been the patient community that has welcomed me and embraced me that I've learned so much more from than, you know, those several hundred thousand dollars I spent in in education. (laughs) Now, granted, you know, learned some other things along the way too, but so once I was diagnosed, and, and I will say I feel incredibly fortunate, uh, and this is, seems odd to say, but my labs were totally wacky and bad. Like they were terrible <laughs> at the time. I think it took my, my rheumatologist slash friend by surprise. Had those not been abnormal, I don't know. If, I don't know how long it would have taken me to be diagnosed. 
There's there's so many parts and pieces of your story that I'm like, oh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. I want to first just kind of reinforce, because I have this conversation with clients a lot, that because standard Western medical training doesn't teach about how to, you know, they don't teach about gut health. They don't teach about how to heal mm-hmm. autoimmunity, how to, you know, reduce inflammation, all, all of yeah. the things. Um, and so I know that by the time people find me and probably you, they're frustrated because absolutely they had normal labs. They were offered antidepressants. They were searching and searching. And so I just, I, I want to highlight that part of your journey and every other yeah. physician that has been on here that has, you know, an autoimmune journey or a, or a health yeah. recovery journey is that it, it's not, I said this yesterday, you know, nobody becomes a doctor if they don't want to help people. And somebody said, well, that's not true. I said, oh, there's easier ways to make money. I promise, you know, <laughs> But but it, it's this the education system has to change as yeah. we now we have information and and this is where integrative medicine functional medicine lifestyle medicine whatever you want to yes. call it is is key and and I love you touched on it, and I think this is really important for people you kind of said it but didn't say it like you know it doesn't matter if you have a diagnosis or when you get the diagnosis, this idea of we ignore and normalize symptoms. And if we don't hear the whispers, we will get shouts and that's what happens. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, a shocker, your autoimmunity, you're used to have gut issues. No way. You know, Yeah. (laughs) there's a connection. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think part of it, I I will refer to myself as the ostrich with their head in the sand for a long time. I I think in that's part, I was totally in denial, um, but also like I didn't have time to be sick. <laughs> now that uh-huh. <laughs> I say that, but then it's a little like tongue in cheek because there would sure. be afternoons where I was totally incapacitated because I ate something that didn't sit well, or I had a terrible headache, or I was just totally zapped from really overdoing it. And so I was having, I was forced to take rest, right? That's that Because of symptoms. And that's what your body (laughs) needs and is like demanding at that point. Yeah. Which is so true. I had a client last week who was very sick, like, you know, ER had a really mm-hmm. high D dimer, like a scary moment in time where, Absolutely. and and two days later she was like complaining that she was still sick. And I'm like, are you in bed? Well, no, I'm working. And I'm like, yeah, so like <laughs> you're not going to get better if you don't rest. And especially when we've got these chronic, whether it's autoimmune or not, just these chronic mm-hmm. symptoms we do tend to just ignore and try to push through and our body will always take us down if we're not going to give it the rest that it wants for sure. So I want to touch on, because there's again, so many questions I want to ask you. You have this whole host of, of symptoms 
that you've experienced, or and th- this is what you're seeing in your other patients with Sjogren's is this, you know, because it sounded like, I, I always think by the time you get the really dry eye, there was always this other host of, of things. And so is that what you're yeah. seeing is, you know, it doesn't, I almost, I don't know. I don't want to offend you. I don't know you well enough yet, <laughs> but to not me, easily like, done. I, I, you know, it's all, <laughs> it all comes back to the same stuff when we're talking about autoimmunity. And so I don't care if, you know, they, the Sjogren's was one of the things they threw, you know, that was like my fifth diagnosis as uh, you know, things just progressed and progressed. And it's like, I don't, I don't care what name they gave what you have. Like, let's just go yeah. after what's going on here. You know, why let's answer yeah. the question why, and then we can start shedding some of those labels, but it sounds like you that that's accurate. You see the same, almost the same host. Yeah. Of- yeah. And the data supports that too. The other symptom that I left off the list is dysautonomia or POTS is incredibly mm. common in Sjogren's. Uh-huh. It's the number one autoimmune cause of POTS. And although I don't, as far as I know, I haven't had, mm-hmm. I wear my aura ring and some of my trackers. <laughs> so I don't think POTS is going on, but I have had significant issues with orthostatic like intolerance. And um, I would have to scrub out of surgery as a medical student, because in that hot, especially it wasn't so much an issue on the actual surgery rotation, but on the OBGYN rotation where they keep the warm, the room much warmer um, for the babies that are, you know, about to be born. um, I had to scrub out on multiple occasions because I think in hindsight, combination of prolonged sitting or standing, the warm environment, all those things kind of came into play where my blood pressure would drop and I would get to the point where I thought I was going to pass out. Thankfully wow. I didn't. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> For so they, many reasons. <laughs> right. They drill into you like as a med student going through, you know, the OR procedures, like you cannot pass out in the operating field. Not allowed. <laughs> you got to get out first, <laughs> drop in the hall. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so, I, I distinctly wow. remember my preceptor saying, you know, asking if I happened to be pregnant because I was having to scrub out so often, which of course now that would kind of be frowned upon, but, awesome. but it, it, it was memorable to now, you know, uh, oh yeah, that probably was all related. Yeah. Shocker. Yeah. Shocker. Yeah. So, so you have such a unique background and practice and I want to dig in a little bit to like allergy versus mm. autoimmunity versus immune deficiency. Cause yeah, it's all, all inter we're all, all one human organism. Right? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's all well, so- in addition to our microbes. But <laughs> so when we think about our immune system, its purpose is to help protect us obviously against infection. Its purpose also is to help us heal like from injury as well. So if you think about a cut that you may get, you'll get an inflammatory response at that cut. It's going to get, it's ouchy. First of all, it's painful. It's red, swollen typically, and it's warm. Those are all the signs and symptoms of acute inflammation. 
And so, you know, during that response, you're having this coordinated effort of cells and proteins and these things called cytokines and chemokines, like this beautiful orchestra of our physiology taking hold so that it can stop the bleeding. It can bring in the cells that are going to help repair the tissue damage. It's going to fend off any microbes from the surface of our skin that maybe have made their way in or other infection. And it's going to allow that area to heal. And it's this magical thing that happens, right? But when we think about allergy, we think about autoimmunity, and throw cancer in there too, and immune deficiency, that system, it has gone haywire. It's misbehaving. And so an allergy, our immune system has recognized something in the outside world as the the danger signal, the enemy. And it mounts a particular flavor of an inflammatory response against that, whether it's a pollen or kitty cat allergen or dust mites or in some cases, foods, as we've seen in the last 20 or so years, this really steep rise in true food allergy, where if someone is exposed to this minute amount of peanut or egg, that they have a life-threatening allergic response. In the case of autoimmunity, when we are incubating, when we are in, in mom's womb, our immune system is already hard at work determining what is self from non-self and what is safe. And so things that are too good of like recognized too easily, those types of cells are eliminated. And those that are not recognized self are eliminated as well. So that you end up with this immune system that can tell, okay, what, what is us and what is not us. And In autoimmunity, essentially the immune system loses that tolerance over time so that then the immune system is seeing our own bits and pieces as that enemy. And it depends, you know, each autoimmune condition has a little bit different flavor of this. It has particular targets that are implicated and that then explains some of the symptoms we end up with. In immune deficiency, We don't have all the parts or pieces or they aren't quite working in in a perfectly coordinated fashion. So we are at an increased risk of infection, whether it be, you know, more frequent infections, more severe infections, oddball infections that most people wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't have any issue with. And a lot of times the collateral damage and inflammation that occurs is not appropriate either. So sometimes there's like too much or there's too little. And so that then can expose the immune system to actually creating an autoimmune response too, because it's not cleaning things up properly. So the really obnoxious thing for many of my immune, my patients with primary immune deficiencies, especially, is that a lot of them coincide or like co-occur or occur in the same person as autoimmune disease. So you end up with autoimmune and immune deficiency in the same human. It's a real kick in the pants. That's a, and then you, (laughs) you're forced, you know, to make some really difficult decisions as a team with your immunologist, maybe your infectious disease doctor or the rheumatologist in deciding how can we try our best to like restore balance as best we can, because sometimes you have to like tap down, 
the inappropriate inflammation, (laughs) try to boost things up the best way we can. And so that is, that can be incredibly challenging and frustrating. And then in cancer, essentially the, you have cells that have gone rogue. They are reproducing at levels and numbers that they're not supposed to. Usually there's some kind of glitch in the system and the immune system is unable to recognize and take those out appropriately. And so what you're seeing with some of the newer immunotherapy cancer treatments is they actually turn the immune system back on to help then target Target. the the cancer more appropriately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. I I think at least in regards to cancer and the general population, I I think (laughs) the more we have these conversations where people can realize like we, we have bad cells all the time. We all do. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot and of times so, our immune system sees them and takes them out and you never know what it's supposed to do. Right. And that's the, mm-hmm. you know, that approach of, I, I look forward to the day when there is a more integrative approach across the board with cancer so that yeah. we are supporting the whole human while we are helping the body go after the cancer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's an interesting conversation, but I, I, that to me, the key for people to start to understand is, you know, we still need to support the body to do its job. And, and so there was a reason your body didn't catch those cells, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm, you know, at which, to me ties into this whole conversation of what are the things, you know, we can do? What is that approach, Mm -hmm. whether we are to, you know, for wellness, right? Because I, and I'm guessing it sounds like you have people that show up, they're coming to you for allergies. And I'm guessing often they have, like you did, like I did have issues brewing that they didn't realize were autoimmune. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would have to say, so I am currently, I see patients two and a half days per week. So I'm not totally full-time in the clinic. In part, that's how I keep my cup full. It's awesome. Um, But I would say at least out of maybe those 36 patients I might see in a week, that at least probably six of them have specifically come in wondering about food allergies, but what they're really dealing with are gut issues. It's mm-hmm. not, a, it's not like they need an EpiPen. And I would say probably a, a good four to five of those patients are maybe the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth mm-hmm. opinion on Mm. Their symptoms, which to me, they describe symptoms of too much inflammation in one way, shape or form and or dysautonomia. So issues with like blood pressure, heart rate, fatigue, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm located in Columbus, Ohio. I work at the large university there and we don't have anyone locally who's taken the lead on dysautonomia, which is really unfortunate. So my patients to see a specialist have to go all the way up to Toledo and wait about two years to get care. That seems insane. And, but I get it. It is. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I mean, we're in a, in a metro area of several million people. And so it's right. in particular, especially, of- yeah, we already had a lot of these folks pre pandemic that, you know, weren't really getting great care or great recognition. I think there's a, a better 
more discussion about what these symptoms represent and folks seeking care. But we've also had a really, you know, an increased prevalence of these symptoms too with long COVID. And for listeners, and I apologize, I didn't ask this sooner. Sorry. Explain what dysautonomia yeah. yes, is yes, for yes, people yes. that aren't yes. familiar. So dysautonomia is essentially a an umbrella term used to describe the automatic nervous system going haywire. So, and it could show up in all sorts of different ways, but most common, and I would say probably affects quality of life most significantly are issues with blood pressure and heart rate. So folks may have issues with feeling like they're going to pass out or they actually pass out and may have issues with digestion, can have differences in how like their pupils dilate and constrict. Um, issues with sweating. I have a few patients who will wake up in the middle of the night drenched in sweat. Now there are some other reasons why that can be that you have to allow. I was going to say, you're not not talking about your... Not necessarily, you know, change of life. (laughs) Yeah. And not necessarily blood sugar issues would be the other main thing you would think about and ruling out cancer. But they are... Symptoms that have, we've known that they exist for some time, but they are like many autoimmune conditions, things that affect different organ systems and are not well understood, not super well researched. And so when you have a medical system that is incredibly siloed, where the cardiologists are in one space, the neurologists are in another space, the immunologists somewhere else, and we kind of stay within our groups, it's challenging to have really good coordinated care for these folks. Yeah, so so well said. And you mentioned long COVID being one reason. I, I feel like in general, even like POTS, PANDAS, these kinds of things, it, it, you know, it's that question of, are we just more aware? And so now we, you know, more mm-hmm. people, we, more diagnoses are happening or is it like real food allergies, autoimmunity, yeah. autism, no, there's more. Or, there's is more there just really more, you know, yeah. What, yeah. what do you think this increase in, I mean, I have, I have two, I, I still call them kids to adult offspring who carry EpiPens and have, you know, one didn't, well, did when he was little, seemed to outgrow stuff. And then randomly Mm. again, you know, different, different. It is scary. Yeah. It's really fascinating too, because there is this really almost like a, not quite a line in the sand, but so I am, I'm 39. So I'm an elder millennial and I don't remember a single kid in my class having food allergy. My sister's 36. And I think she probably would say about the same, but you go another like two or three years. And that's when those numbers really kind of blossom, you know, kind of those born early nineties onward. Um, And this has been a really interesting topic of conversation at our national allergy, asthma, immunology meetings. And this past spring, you know, the real big discussion point was one of the ways that we have 
conceptualized this increase over the last 30 years or so is the hygiene hypothesis, right? The reason why we're seeing more is because we're all cleaner. And yeah, like that that helps explain it to some degree, but it wasn't the whole picture. And so there is a, a physician researcher, Dr. Adkis, who is out of, I believe, Switzerland, who took kind of the center stage and really spoke a lot about the epithelial barrier hypothesis. So this idea that we have interfaces on our bodies, our skin, our respiratory tract, our gut, that are how we communicate with our outside world. And those barriers are permeable or semi-permeable. We want communication from one side to the other. That's how we interact with our environments, right? But if you have too many chinks in the armor, then you get into trouble. And so what happens when you end up with leakiness or breaks is that you see a change in the microbes that are living on that surface. And you see a change in inflammation. And a lot of times in particular, what we talk about a lot in allergy is eczema. It's easy to see like what's going on a little bit easier to study sometimes than, than gut related things. Cause you're not having to do endoscopies all the time, but it is um, a gut related thing. It, <laughs> Sorry. But from like a bio, yeah, but from like I a know, biopsy you culture standard, you know, it's it. a little it's easier, easier to get to. <laughs> yeah. Easier to see and conceptualize. And, but what you'll see, for instance, staph aureus lives on our skin. It's kind of a natural commensal. It's kind of like a generally a friendly ish um, bug. Um, but you see, the t- like the strains and the types of toxins that they make change when that skin is inflamed. And essentially what happens is you end up with a snowball effect. And so when you have breaks in the skin, the bugs change, there's inflammation, it makes it more leaky, so on and so forth. And that continues. But as you mentioned, there's crosstalk. So you can see then changes maybe in gut microbiome and development of eczema, or you can see changes or exposures through the respiratory tract that then will increase the risk of developing something like multiple sclerosis. So there, there's, you know, this growing body of evidence that problems at these barriers and increased inflammation, leakiness kind of at these barriers is the issue. So then the question is, okay, what's making them more leaky? And there's a whole bunch of things. We think about how different our day-to-day lives are compared to like my great-great-grandma who was living on the farm in Northern Georgia, growing all her own vegetables, canning things. She was out with the cow and they would, you know, kill the chicken. And my even my dad, when he was growing up, he'd have to go kill the chicken and pluck all the feathers and bring it in for dinner. Like they were... He was outside on the farm working all summer. Like they didn't have air conditioning. Touching the earth. (laughs) Yeah. It just was totally different. And here we are, you know, in our creature comforts. I'm in air conditioned space. Me too. (laughs) And I have my earbud, you know, I'm sitting. And and that's not to villainize everything about our modern way of living. It's just a lot has changed. And we're seeing now the downstream effects of that significant amount, you know, change the different exposures that we are, are exposed to 
rapid change in diet, increased sugar, oil, refined grains. And on the whole, we're very sedentary. We spend upwards 90 plus percent of our time indoors. And so, and then the newest and the, and what Dr. Adkis is kind of, I think, pet project is looking at the role of dishwasher rinse aid, in particular, those used in commercial dishwashers, but the, the, the residue left on glasses is very damaging to the gut. And so commercial dishwashers came about late 1980s. Is that then implicated in what we've seen with increased rates of food allergy, eosinophilic esophagitis, drug allergy? Two kids with that when they were little. (laughs) Who knows, right? Yeah. And so, you know, there still is a lot of work to be done to really hone in, but. Well, and I think that's fascinating. A a very specific product, but I think it, it underscores the whole exposure to toxins. Yeah. Right. So they're studying yeah. commercial dishwasher, but you know, but what are people using at home even exactly. day in and day out? And, and yes, you know, that's a whole, we could talk for another hour yeah. about that, but I do think it's this combination and you can't say, so you mentioned, you know, the changes in our food system, the dogs are piping in. And, and to me, you can't separate the changes in the food system and toxins. It's the same you know, oh, yeah. the bad oils, yeah. the ultra processed foods, the, you know, all of that it is toxic. And yeah. so, you know, when I say toxins, then, I'm not always talking like chemicals, right? And yeah. forget and EMF, all, all the things. Yeah. Right? And I think then it's, it's, we all probably need to sit down metaphorically, probably <laughs> or stand up and, or stand up. Yeah. And just think about, you know, what, what are our non-negotiables? What are the things we're willing to change? And what is our comfort level with risk too? And I I think that's where more data would be helpful. But sure. as I, I've talked a lot with my patients about the dishwasher stuff in particular, I have three young kids. I'm working. I have a business. I don't want to go back to hand-washing dishes. Right. So, you know, on the flip side, I'm trying to look for generally more eco-friendly products that typically, you know, in broad brushstrokes, things that are healthier for the planet tend to be healthier for our physiology. And, and, you know, similarly with the things we put on our skin, like those are easy, simple swaps and switches that. But I love that you brought up the also know what your non-negotiables are. I mean, one of of the pieces, and we all need to be doing it for wellness. You know, the the smart ones are doing it ahead of time before they have any symptom they're ignoring. But one of the things I do with my clients is we're reducing that exposure, right? As we're supporting the body's detox pathways, we are, and it is a process. It's a process. There's no way you could wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to reduce my exposure. And by next week, you've done it. Like there's so much that we come into contact with and that's fine. Every change is an improvement. I had one client who, and she did, she was a vegan when I met her. And I was like, I'm not the one to help you as a vegan. Let's find you somebody. Oh no, just tell me what to eat. (laughs) So she would eat meat. But when we were cleaning up products, I said, what kind of shampoo and conditioner are you using? Yeah. And I never did find out because she said to me, that's not negotiable. 
not negotiable. That for her, she loved her shampoo and conditioner. Yeah. She literally cleaned up every other product she was using yeah. on her body in her home. Every, and, and I'm like, great. Like, we, it's cool. not about, we, A, we can't reach perfect. And B, yeah. we don't need to is the... You know, because sometimes we get the we have these conversations and it can start to sound doom and gloom. And you know, we've got all of these hits we're yes. taking, but we really don't have to fix Perfection. everything in order for yeah. for the body to be able to heal, which is yeah, you know, the that's the exciting part, right? That's why we're here. Absolutely. We are resilient, amazing species that has made it this far. <laughs> right. Perfection is sometimes, you know, the enemy of good. Yes. And I will say I was the first to fall down that rabbit hole. Not well, too do. long after, yeah, after my diagnosis, I doubled down. I've had a, a Peloton bike for quite some time since probably like 20, 2018, 2019. Early adopter. Maybe yeah, early it maybe it's twenty nineteen. Anyways, well, doesn't pre, matter. Pre, but yeah, I pre pandemic and <laughs> and I was like shooting for you know PRs. Like okay, like I'm gonna like work out hard. I was drinking green smoothies that I was adding some superfood you know stuff to, and to make a long story short, ended up with an acute liver failure from the supplement. So that's always just my word of caution of just you know don't. Don't overdo it and just be conscientious. Of what and you're more doing. of something good isn't always better. <laughs> yes. And, and then it's good for everybody either. It that is absolutely. And then I took that perfectionism and then put it totally into kind of the elimination diet game and got really restrictive, lost a bunch of weight, which of course, as you know, a woman in our society was of course like you know, like, oh, you look great, you know, all those sorts of things. But I ended up spending so much mental energy fixated on what I was eating, what I wasn't eating, that at a certain point, my symptoms were like rearing back. And I and I honestly think I was just constantly in fight or flight. It didn't matter that I was eating like a really anti-inflammatory diet and like, you know, working out and doing these things like I had to kind of address all of it. And I also just had to let go of the perfectionism. Like that was, I think. And I think everybody, I'm sure you have the same thing. I I, I think that the perfectionism, if if we could somehow like diagnose perfectionism first, (laughs) we could prevent a lot of this chronic illness. Yeah. It really does that stress level. I've yet and it may present totally different. Like, it's not like everybody you meet, you're going to know right away, but mm-hmm. pretty much everybody that I've worked with is a perfectionist and mm-hmm. that letting go is such an mm-hmm. essential healing step. Yeah. So I do or, wonder if there are like particular personality traits that also may, they they absolutely provided a survival advantage at some point, you know, across sure. our lifespan, right? But do those also like increase the potential sometimes for yeah. these conditions? And that's what we just need to learn. You kind of wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I think. Yeah. I think for sure. I, I really do. I, it doesn't mean that if you don't care about anything, you don't get sick. I'm not saying no, that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just, you know, like we talk about risk that, factors. Like, yeah. yeah, if you 
if you drink a certain amount, you're more apt to get breast cancer, colon cancer, you know, like those sorts of things where you just right. kind of right. take those into account and yeah. Well, yeah. So, but I, I love that what you're bringing to the world. Uh, and I just think, you know, the more anytime, especially like somebody who thinks they're just coming to see an allergist, right? Like anytime somebody can walk into a doctor's office and have contact with somebody like you who can help them understand true wellness, you know, mm-hmm. and the body is such a gift. Yeah. So I am so grateful that you are out there in Ohio doing what you're doing. <laughs> Clearly you need yeah. more counterparts <laughs> it's well, in, your, in the, your neck of the woods. <laughs> the wonderful, wonderful thing about my position is that I get to work with trainees. Oh, so fantastic. Near, nearly every day there is a medical learner of one, one shape or another. So from mm-hmm. Undergraduates who are applying to med school, I will on occasion have them shadow with me all the way up through our allergy and immunology fellows. We have two per year and actually the season just opened for interviews. So we have, you know, a hundred plus applicants for, for these, you know, two spots every year. It's pretty incredible. And so to be able to share my story with them, share some tips and tricks as to how to think about and conceptualize these things that we have. We may not have all the answers to, I think Mm -mm. as human beings, our brains really hate uncertainty. Yes. And, and that is absolutely the case with physicians as well. And to push them to get more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable, I think is, is clutch and to help instill and support their curiosity, I think is really important too. And what really, really needs to take place to ensure that all of us as healthcare professionals can stay curious and compassionate and kind of leaning in is we need to ensure that our healthcare professionals have wellness as well. (sighs) Because if they are unable to fill their own cup, that is when you get someone who is burnt out, unhappy, maybe unhappy with their situation or their job. And I, I would almost guarantee that you are not going to get the best care that you could get from someone who is in that state. Like I always, I always ask like, why, when you just, you look at medical school and how it's set up, it's like, why are we trying to kill people who are training to help people. (laughs) And it's not just this country. It's, it's medical school across the board is set up that way. It just doesn't make sense. I was thinking about that with your hundred plus applicants for the two spots. Like every one of those applicants Mm -hmm. really needs to be filling their cup and doing stress. You know, it's such a high Mm -hmm. stress area. And and that's a great, the flip side to that, that I can say Mm -hmm. is I'm not a physician is also, we need to remember that our physicians are human and yeah. they're people. Yes. And, and yes. Yeah. They're, you know, and, and yeah. we have this training of decades of, you know, this mentality that you and I are trying to change, which is you show up at the doctor because you want the doctor to fix you, 
right? Like, yes, <laughs> you need a partner, right? You know, yeah, we have to absolutely. take responsibility for our own wellness, and we and we have to realize that our doctors don't necessarily have all the answers. But when you can find one like Kara, like that's it's gold, it really is. Yeah. So. There's this really cool paradigm that has been written about and talked about called wellness 2.0, where essentially it outlines this idea of the physician is human. There is this equalization. It, the, the power dynamics between patient and physician will never be equal, right? Like there's, there's no way to fully equalize that just to the nature of these systems, but it brings it into closer balance. and. I think the more that we can lean into that is really important. But the reality is we live in a very capitalistic society and money talks. So they're also, you know, we're going to have to grapple with making the case, unfortunately, probably from the financial side of things in order to really see systemic change. And that's kind of the tough love aspect of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. But the good news is that when, when that does happen and that the broken system finally collapses, we already, we know, you know, what can work and what is yeah. working. Yeah. So I love that. So give listeners, if you will, and it can be anything, it can be directly Shogun's related, not, doesn't matter. What is one step that they can take starting today to start to improve their health? Yeah. So I think the one thing is taking a few minutes just to sit, give yourself a little bit of that white space, that quiet, to just listen to that inner voice and what he, she, they needs. Um, I think that is incredibly important. And I think it's really helpful to do that before a medical visit. Medical appointments, almost on the whole, tend to put us into fight or flight. And when we get into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, we may not always we may forget like what our objectives were for that visit. So jotting down some notes can be really helpful ahead of time to think about, okay, what are your questions? What are your goals? How are your symptoms really impacting your quality of life? Being able to communicate how they are showing up in, in your, in, in showing your humanity can be really helpful, especially to maybe tug on that doc who is on on the brink of burnout or who maybe just needs that reminder that you are human and this is showing up in very human ways. Yeah. So that's my, what I would share. The other piece, and because I see it a lot and, and it's, I don't think people do it intentionally. We tend to, even though we're showing up at the doctor's office for help, we do have this natural tendency, most of us, to downplay just mm-hmm. what you're talking about. We may say, you know, these are the symptoms, but we don't share how it's impacting our life. Yeah. Or And so it's like, oh, we said the word and, and then yeah. that's it. And the doctor, that's 
they're not getting like, oh my gosh, this yes. is really impacting your life. So, so I'll share a really quick example. Low back stiffness was one of the main issues that was totally impacting my quality of life. And so I could tell the doc, oh, I'm having low back stiffness. I sit down for prolonged periods of time and it's really hard to get moving again. It's worse in the morning. Yes, all that's helpful. But what really illustrates how much it was impacting my life was I was not wanting to sit on the floor to play with my young children. And that like was breaking my heart. Yep. And so to share, you know, that little extra nugget of like, this is how problematic this is. Like that helps light the fire, hopefully under yeah. that, that person's bottom <laughs> to like, to do something about it, whether it's to refer you or get imaging or start meds, what have you, but to make, to have some sort of action. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Amazing. Before we wrap up, where can listeners find you? Where's the best place? Yeah. So the best place is probably drcarawada.com. On there, I have a freebie. So the 25 things that we did in our family over the last four years or so to make simple swaps to like less toxic things that we were talking about, just simple, easy I'm a Midwest girl, born and bred, and I love a good deal. So things generally are, you know, not going to cost a ton to really help start making those changes. And on there also you'll find, so each year, the last two years, we've hosted the virtual Shogun Summit. So it is a, um, we have a ton of great resources on there. And coming up this fall, we are launching a fall event called the Demystifying Inflammation Summit. So you're going to want to get on the email list so you can stay in the loop. Um, It's going to be a free event. Tons of um, experts across the, you know, the spectrum of things of too much inflammation. So allergies, autoimmunity, asthma, gut health issues. So I'm super excited and in the weeds of planning that right now. I love that. I am definitely signing up. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Kara, thank you so much. You have given us amazing gold today. Thank you so much. I have loved talking and we're going to, we're going to have to have you on the Becoming Immune Confident podcast so that we can hear your story too. Yeah, I would love it. I'd love love to continue the conversation. Yes. For everyone listening, remember you can get the transcripts and show notes by visiting inspiredliving.show. I hope you had a great time and enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a transcript of this and every other episode, just head on over to inspiredliving.show or click on the link in this episode's description. There, you can also find everything we discussed in this episode, including links and information about our guest. You can even send in your questions to be answered by Julie in a future episode. That's inspiredliving.show. Until next time, this is Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, helping you take your power back.